And we're live here at the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil. That would make me terrible, Troy. And this is Annabelle Lecter. And we're joined by Jill Gavargazian, director of The Stylist. Hello, everyone. Well, I'm excited to be back. Yeah. By the way, no more six. Well, that's still I'm happy to go by it by my nickname. I just wanted to use my real name as a director. Oh, that's that's a good idea. (laughs) I agree. By the way, so we've had you on many times and all those times we you had the style, the style of short. You had a lot of other cool shorts, but always wanted to make the feature. So obviously it's a great feeling. But can you explain how that felt, you know, all those years trying to get it made? And then it's finally out there, runs festivals. It's on Shutter. I mean, it has to be very uh special (laughs) it's very surreal um and it's everything it's surreal it's exciting i'm so proud of everything that's happened and it feels like it's also a strange feeling when i realized the movie was actually like about to make its first premiere and this dawned on me like this this journey's about to be over with Claire, she's been part since, like you said, the short. Right. We had a long time between. So this whole project's been part of my life for so long that I didn't know if I was ready to let it go. It's been so awesome. <laughs> yeah. So in a weird way, I guess it's also, I don't want to say sad, but uh, I guess there's a melancholy feeling to it, too. It's a weird, like, letting go of a thing mm. that you've been, you know, part of you for so long, it feels like. Yeah. Would you ever it's revisit been- Claire? I probably would. That was not my intention from the beginning, but you could probably convince me to. <laughs> so when you first made the short, was it always the idea like, this is what I want to show for the feature? Was it always like, I want to make a feature or did that come later? I did know I always wanted to make a feature with that concept, but we, I just right away said like, let's make a short first because at the time, I only directed one short film. I wanted to get some more experience for sure before I try to make that leap. And just from the call girl, my first to stylish short was a, a huge leap for me. Um, so it just felt like something we could do in both ways that it wouldn't be like a stretching of the idea, but we would just like kind of give the basic of the concept in the short and then fully. I always knew it'd be like a character focused thing that we would really get to know her much more in the future i also think i always knew it'd be like about kind of her descent into the end so to speak yeah it is so sad i feel like she's you know i i like her i like her and then for these things to be happening i feel sad for her so i guess i like her, like the idea of who she wishes she could be and then does all these horrific terrible things because of all this dark psychological things that are going on for her and i feel so sad for her i'm so glad to hear you say that. <laughs> um because yeah that was our goal or my goal that she'd you know be sympathetic and i grew up loving sad movies as morbid as that sounds that was like my first love and then horror and i Love the combination of the two. Mm-hmm. I also really like think ho- films with hopeful endings. Not, I'm not just a sad, depressing person, <laughs> but I've always loved tragic stories. And Romeo and Juliet did that to me when I was younger. So I, I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about Claire. You know, you like Annabelle said, you feel sad for her because 
it's almost like she's not there or she feels like she's not really important to anybody or not even present. You know, that's right at the beginning. She says, you know, I can tell you things because it's almost like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like her biggest thing is that she lacks an identity of her own. So she just, just trying to grab onto everyone else's and what she thinks she should be or what she thinks other people might feel like without ever really understanding herself. Uh, sometimes when I see a short that or a feature that was originally a short, I'm always a little uh, afraid because sometimes like it's a great short and then I see the feature and it's really just the short spread out to be a feature and it doesn't really work. But uh, this was cl clearly you had an idea and it's more than just what the short was. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was always, I was scary though to make the feature because the short did pretty well and you never know what people were hoping for it to be or, you know, I know a lot of people wish we explained more, but we really held back in that way. No, I, uh, for me anyway, I, I, I prefer that. I like it better if you think, you know, you come to your own conclusion how she got there. Yeah, definitely. Um, was Najara always on board to do the feature? Yes. Um, she she's our freaking I feel like like this, the angel of the film, like this whole film would fall apart if we had the wrong performer in that role, because I wanted her to I knew that her actions were over the top and somewhat ridiculous if they're really thought about seriously but i didn't want her to be played that way at all so i was like how do we ride this crazy line right. and i think it's thanks to her like performance but when she when she agreed to do the short and we shot it we were just so blown away by the way that she brought claire to life and i i could have imagined doing the, the future without her like if she wasn't she was in fact she, her and my main two producers who double as the dp and production designer are the three people I asked when it came down to like doing it Kickstarter, doing the, the Kickstarter route. I was like, what do you guys think about just like doing this with like bare bones? Like, how can we do this now? Like we can't wait any longer. And so, yeah, she was, she was reading versions of the script as we were writing it. She's really involved by the end of it and, and really like building the character and building her background with us. Like she should almost be a writer of the, of the project at this point. Mm -hmm. How did she get involved initially? What made her write, you know, even before you did the feature, what made her write for Claire when you're doing the short? Well, I, um, I had met her at a screening of contracted, the, you know, the film that she was in another horror film, which is, is like, she is the whole movie, which kind of, I feel like that film told me how talented she was. So she carries this entire film and kind of goes through everything. It's emotionally. And um, I, briefly met her at at that screening probably 2014 and um about it i might have i don't know if it was a total year later that i was just like brainstorming people like dream people to be in the role and um i kept she kept coming to mind and i was like i don't know at first i was i wondered if she was too beautiful and i was like that's a stupid thing to to think about um because she's just so talented and i didn't want it to be about about the outside really about like fixing some thing that isn't beautiful whatever that means and um so it was through a connection of the director of contracted eric england uh just an email and sent her the short and she was just right away really excited about it and we 
got on a video chat before we were doing this all the time. And so it was a little more awkward, but um, yeah, it was just, just through the awesome connections of the horror world being so small. Mm-hmm. That's how half the things I've accomplished have happened. Just thanks to everyone being so friendly and helpful. Yeah. It really is so amazing because I think this film could have gone to, like I've seen films where it seems like it's about mental illness in a way and it becomes like exploitation. And I didn't think that was the case with this. It's like, here is this sad girl, this girl with so much potential to be happy. And she's going through these things. She's going through these things that happen, not to this extent, but can happen to people, that people who are very isolated and um, don't have people to help them and people to, to make them feel like they matter. And where can that go? And I think that sometimes that can go in a place and I feel kind of like gross about how the person, the character pans out, but I didn't feel like that with this. I feel like it was just like, it's perfect balance of someone who plays a believable character in an unorthodox situation. (laughs) Um, So it, it has that nice reality feel to it without me feeling like, Oh, this is like gross. How this has been done. It was really wonderful. Thank you so much. I mean, and and thank on Najara's behalf because she's just so. I feel like her performance is just so nuanced. She can just say so much with just like barely a, a expression on her face. And I realized not till like really in hindsight with everyone's reactions to the film, pulling out all the social anxiety. I was like, I always knew she was anxious and lonely, but I didn't realize how much of my myself I put into her. And I was like, wow, I really it was cool to see the people connect to the real side of it. And I was worried about what it would say. I'm like, I'm definitely not saying if you're anxious, you're going to go scalp people, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with horror, yeah. we tell a super fantastical version of reality. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. For people who don't know, um, you're a hairstylist. So, uh, <laughs> the, uh, this may be a silly question, but even just her, her movements when she's, uh, working on someone's hair and stuff, like, I assume that's something uh, you work with her on, like just so it seems natural that this is something she knows how to do or has yeah, the, time doing. Yeah. Those kind of details were important to me is it was like part of the big, like the inspiration to do the film in the first place. I was like, how does this not already exist? And I'm like, I should do it because I can make the things, the small details that hairstylists will know are real. And um, so it was interesting that Najara put a lot of work into it. She had a, what a, a mannequin head, the things we would use in hair school to practice on in her living room for like six months ahead of time. She's always like practicing with the brush and blow dryer, which is like a lot of these things that we, when you do them for 10 years, it's just like second nature. You don't even looking that even six months, it's not going to look the same, but she, I mean, she was even cutting people's hair that she knew, which those people are brave. (laughs) I think her mom even let her cut her hair. Who's Dorinda Townsend. She's amazing. She's helped the film in so many ways. She's actually Claire's mom in the photos. It's her, Najara's real mom in the movie. Um, But yeah, she, all that was really important to me and her and a funny, cool, small thing a lot of the close-ups of just the hands with blow drying, curling and stuff, the extreme close-ups are mostly uh, my production designer and producer, Sarah Sharp's hands. She's also has a cosmetology license 
I could do it except for I've got the, all the tattoos. We just like paint the the nails the same color and she's doing a lot of that. And we did that in the short without even planning. It was just like an accident, like, oh my God, what are we going to do for this? Yeah. Um, and for the future, we were much more prepared. But yeah, we have essentially stunt hands or what we, doubles of her hands in a lot of moments. Yeah. I want to bring up, because you said that you thought maybe she was too... Uh, too uh, pretty to play the role and um i thought it was interesting because not often do you see the killer a female killer in a movie where it's not about her like uh like sexually luring men into kill there really has nothing to do with this movie and i think that's very unique actually you don't really see that hardly ever yeah it's funny that you say that because we have a post a foreign poster that makes it look like that's what the movie is (laughs) and i just die laughing at it but um it's it's also interesting that the stereo I feel like this the sad girl movies you normally do see we like typecast kind of awkward looking people. I don't even like saying that that sounds so judgmental and horrible, but just this you know the of the stereotype of what is beautiful or whatever the hell um and I admittedly embarrassingly admittedly was thinking in that terms at first, and then I realized like that's not what this is about, and had this like reckoning reckoning in my own head when i started to realize what i was looking for it wasn't about really what they looked like um but i was looking for like someone with just like eyes that really pulled you in um but she's just incredible and i also learned from the short film we put scars on her neck in the short that we didn't have in the feature and that was another thing i learned i was like everyone focused on that and it became all about the physical and i wanted to the feature to hopefully focus on the, you know, the psychological part of her. Yeah. Um, was that um, a shop you work at that you filmed it at? Yes, <laughs> um, it is. And I, I have a lot of clients that are like, I just got in the last two years because I took over a, a guy left and a lot of his clients started coming to me. And so they're only just learning about a lot of my, uh, my longtime clients know I've been making movies and, so I'll be cutting their hair and they're like, what's your movie about? And I'm like, uh, my hairstylist that kills people. <laughs> I was like straight say it like that. And I've got a copy of it up in there. And but, so, yeah, I think some people are legitimately a bit concerned <laughs> when they see it. But or when they when I tell them that I'm like, good thing you haven't seen it yet, because they're, it's like the end of the night and they're the only person left with me. <laughs> like that's that's a very real mo- scene when if you work in a salon where everyone kind of works for themselves and works different hours. Um, but yeah, that is the spot. And we rearranged it a little bit, but I knew when we shot the short in a different one, but I knew when I moved to this salon, I was like, this will be perfect for the feature. It's like the same colors, but bigger. We'll have more room for cameras. <laughs> and yeah, I was already scheming the second I got in there. Did uh, like some of your regulars, did, uh, are, are any of them in the movie? Like, you know, his backgrounds? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's funny. They're not, I don't think any of them are in the salon scenes because, but or coordinating the salon background was way more of a nightmare than I imagined because of the action everyone was doing behind Claire's conversations. But um, in like the wedding and the big bachelorette club scene, those are all like friends or clients and family. And Bria even has said that in some interview we were in together, Bria Grant, she's like, everyone came up coming up to me. They're like, I'm Jill's hair client. I'm Jill's whatever. And I'm like, That's how you have to make a movie. 
as an independent filmmaker, get everyone who will help you to do it, you know, whatever it can in any way. It's like, it all makes it possible. Yeah. I was looking actually at the credits. I saw <laughs> people I know like Erica Kaufman and Zach Kaufman. And yeah. So this one. Yes. I had to have them. They're actually walking down the street. Totally can't tell who they are. I wish we could see them, but with me before my big spoiler alert kill, <laughs> um, I was like, I need some badass looking people to be walking down the street with me, Eric and Zach. <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned the spoiler because I, I didn't know if I should bring it up, but uh, a great. I uh, at this point, we can talk about spoilers yeah, in a year or two. So, yeah, great cameo, a great uh, <laughs> get killed in the movie. What was that like to get uh, to get killed in your own film? It was really exciting and nerve wracking as hell. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't think I'm great in front of the camera. Uh, I try. I think I was doing that to like challenge myself and like a childhood dream. And then, it, and it was a product from a producer's standpoint, it was like logical, cheaper. Uh, my hair was easy to replicate for a wig. Um, but I get really nervous on camera. Sometimes I'm like shut down last minute. I knew I couldn't do that with this, but um, it was really, I think thanks to like Najara, and I like rehearsed it quite a bit at the location. Um, she gave me some insight. I was like, you're making me a better director. I think I need to be doing this more often. Um, and, uh, but it was really fun. And, but a lot of fucking stress. I gave me a, I was already so worshiping of at performers, but I'm like, this is a lot. Just like what I had to do in one shot and like twirl around and land on the ground when she stabs me. I was like, I can't hit all these marks and act at the same time. I'm not a professional actor. I was like having a meltdown for a second, but then it was fine. <laughs> um, it was awesome and Im incredibly emotionally exhausting. I learned a lot from that. Yeah. Uh, my friend, uh, John Pata, who he's a writer, director. I don't know if you guys have talked to him before, but he edited both the short and the feature. And he was in, he was coming in town to help for a few days anyway. I was, so he, I essentially had him direct like second direct that scene and so I couldn't look at the monitor. I wasn't allowing myself to like look at each one and be like, I look stupid there. It was like, get through the whole shot. We move on. Then I can watch that. We can't go back at that point. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Is that a fun scene to watch? Uh, even after the fin movie's finished, you're watching it on the big screen. It is fun. Um, and I love Najara at the end of it when she's just like laughing like a total maniac at this point. When, when we shot that part, we were all just like cheering we were so excited we're like this is the craziest you've been in the movie <laughs> i love it yeah. um and but the one thing i didn't anticipate was how much it was going to be hor horrific for my mother oh, my mom yeah, hates yeah. horror movies and violence <laughs> and, <laughs> and so i'm like what have i done now I've she has to watch her own daughter get like and it's like a dragged out kill mm -hmm. it was it was not right of me to do that to my mom. I just showed her a picture of it. And she started like tearing up. I'm like, Aww. oh, God, you can't watch this part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did like what you said earlier about the descent of Claire, because the first kill is like it's I don't say nice, but it's, you know, it's yeah. calm and it's laid back. And then uh, it get, things get much more brutal. Yeah, we were like trying to. It's like literally mirroring what's going on inside. It's like every kill is getting messier and she's disassociating more. I feel like by my kill, she's not Claire anymore. And um, 
and it made it fun because in every kill we were like what are we going to accentuate and like we're not like repeating the same thing with like special effects stuff that was a lot of fun and a lot of challenging wigs to find things. Yeah, that in my notes it's funny you brought that up because I, I when i was watching it again i was like i wonder if it's hard to find like the matching wigs or or if you have someone wear the wig for their scene and then so then when they when they get the scalp she can just wear the same wigs that would be smarter in a lot of ways if i wasn't such a i'm a brat about like i don't like how the wig looks in the first place so i'm like they're going to be as a not scalp for quite a while. I don't really want to be staring at them in this right, horrible right. wig yeah. for like 10 minutes. <laughs> but, but then, yeah, a lot of that's challenging because I have to really take it into account with casting. I like their hair is almost as important as their performance. C- can we find a wig? Cause we don't have a, an unlimited budget to create like an incredible wig of any color. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it. And that is kind of, that part kind of sucks because I'm like, if it's a solid hair color, if there's all, it's going to be really hard if it's not like just like dark brown or blonde. The In fact, Bria's is really, really hard to do. I actually like highlighted a wig like and cut it and worked on it. Um, so I actually like did the hairstyles <laughs> or did their hair on, like off, not like on set, but like the wigs. And I did Najara's hair color too. Interesting. Were you inspired by anything in particular to have these? hideous women who were around her who were so mean and nasty and horrible to her <laughs> you mentioned that club scene and i was just how would these people <laughs> the um yeah that club that bathroom scene where they're it's like the i kind of did it on purpose it is like a kind of a cliche that's in a lot of movies there's like the mean girl bathroom scene I was kind of trying to do a spin on it in the sense of like, or we're trying to put you so far into Claire's perspective that it does feel really mean, but what they're saying isn't really that like outlandish. Like they're like, they've never heard of this girl before and she's here. Um, They're definitely being kind of bratty, but a lot of the stuff that comes off mean to Claire, I feel like is pretty understandable. Even the Olivia kind of, confront confrontation on the in a parking deck when she comes out of work she's kind of just laying boundaries that are pretty understandable that but from claire's perspective it's like the end of the world and we kind of we try to like almost make the camera feel like claire's perspective even though it's not literally you know pov um like to take you so far on her side that you're starting to feel that she feels even it's not totally rational at this point Mm -hmm. um but yeah that was a hard for me to think that's the bathroom scene was hard for me because I'm like, I don't want them to be too mean, but I want it to, from her perspective, to feel like mm-hmm. this is the end of the world because they're clearly not accepting her. Yeah. Um, how about uh, the effects themselves? Who uh, was that someone you knew who did the effects? Like, how, how did you find them? Yeah, that's uh, our, our lead artist. Her name is Colleen Kaufman. She worked on the short too. And I've worked with her on, I feel like every, I think every short that's needed that um, she does all kinds of work in the makeup world. She also does wig work. So this was like a dream combo scenario, I think, um, where she even, you know, we bought some wigs, but she would take out the front and put some like fake skin, whether she made it out of latex or silicone different times and feed some hair through the fake skin so that front looked a little bit better. 
So it was like a pretty intricate pre- preparation. Like we had to cast and find this, the wigs like a month plus before we we're going to shoot to have anything ready. Um, so it was a lot, but it was really cool. And it was cool to go in and get like my neck cast. I've never done any of that stuff before, but she's incredible. And it, it's like a layer. The, the scalp effect itself is insane and very nerve wracking because it's li- literally layered. Like she puts a bald cap on and then all these fake guts and blood and then the scalp and then the wig and then layers that down. And then we were actually like cutting through the real fakes, the real skin, like actually cutting and pulling it back. And we're always like, we're hopeless. When it pulls back, the blood's like where it's supposed to be. <laughs> then the short, it was like a dream. They like just pulled off the first time and we're all in the background like, like it just keeps going. And Najara's having a hard time. We're like, that just makes it look better. It looks yeah. real. Like yeah. in the short or in the feature, we were like, it just didn't happen. Like ama- amazing the first time. We're like, of course, it's not going to like happen again the way it did the first time. And so it was more challenging that opening scene, even though we kind of did the exact same kill like setup um but yeah it was we had so many challenges with the effects on like on the set but they all i in the edit they look incredible we were kind of you just that's the thing with independent film we don't have the actors we can't do tests ahead of time we don't have like an extra five thousand dollars to like do a scalping before we actually film it like or does you know, this match the person's skin, an, an actor that's in L.A. that we can't see till a week before we film it. Um, there's so many things like that. But it was so fun. And this effects days, I think, are so fun and nerve wracking because you never know how it's going to go. But we, we spend a whole day just doing one of those things. Um, I think that really, like you said, adds to when they're, she's kind of tugging on it because yeah. I'm helping one, but it's not super easy. I don't know. But yeah. and also yeah. the sound effects of like kind of like a ripping. Uh, that to- part is so challenging on the short and the feature. In fact, we were working with this company called Noise Floor in Chicago with the sound on the feature. And it's like so many layers of the most weird things you'd think of, like Velcro even just cardboard ripping there's like fruit being like crunched up like all kinds of crap <laughs> i was although i made it a point i was like where i'm not okay with using like dead animals to make those sounds so i was like we well, gotta be we gotta think of creative ways not actually pull skin off something that's dead <laughs> yeah. well so you know like i'm sure you can find a, a creaking door or something but yeah you can't like look up uh, <laughs> yeah you're like what you know? does that actually sound like do we <laughs> does anybody know <laughs> And then you're worried if someone's like, well, I know exactly how that sounds. Like that was not the correct sound effect for the scalping. (laughs) Uh, uh, Diablo Joe in the chat room says uh, the film bucks a lot of tropes as you've already gone over. It also looks wonderfully bold and colorful. Was that the result of overall personal taste or conscious style decision for the film? It was um, it's kind of a combination. I do like films that use a lot of color especially using color as a way of like enhancing the story like it has you know intention or meaning behind why you're using which color when um and so with this film we knew we were going to go really lean crazy into this style and being like incredibly stylish and kind of it started with the short but we expanded it a lot more of like the color palette we had created started to create for Claire we just went kind of crazy with it started with that like mustard yellow color and the idea that like 
she inherited her grandmother's house is this backstory I have. So kind of I live this idea that she's like almost from another time. So all her color palette looks like very 70s browns and oranges and yellows. And we thought that and the main character I wanted to always be the opposite. She's kind of like the doppelganger of Claire, like the same and the opposite at the same time. Um, so I was like, well, she'll have a cool colors, purples, her main color, the opposite of yellow on the color chart and cool versus warm. And so like it wouldn't we always knew that like the whole world would be like that. So Claire would kind of just stand out everywhere and. So it was always a huge part of the storytelling from like the very beginning, the color, like what it all meant. <clears throat> Did you uh, do the editing yourself or uh, what was that process like? That was edited by John Pada. Um, it's I. I've only edited like one short myself. I do like being very involved in it, but I don't the technical side of it. I'm always like, God knows what I actually just did to this to file after what i'm just done i have the vision for it but i don't i have not learned the the everything about it but so i storyboard quite a bit and already have like a pretty clear vision of how like the scenes are going to come together before we even shoot so i shared all that with my editor and communicate all of it so we work real closely but like he normally edit puts major scenes together, then sends them to me. And it's just then, you know, back and forth. We actually had John already putting scenes together while we were shooting certain scenes. We were worried. Did we get everything? Is, is that scene going to make sense? And she's like, throw it together really fast and see. Um, but yeah, it was, he's an incredible fast worker. And in fact, I'm working on a, his, he's editing his film that he just wrote and directed that I helped produce called black mold that, we're hoping we'll start playing next year. <laughs> so oh, he's cool. back editing something he wrote and directed. Yeah. You mentioned him working really fast. And I'm just thinking as you're describing all these things and I'm, and I'm thinking all the time, the time that it takes to do all of this stuff. And do you feel like it, you felt pressed for time? Did you feel like it was just right? Do you feel like it took longer than you expected to go by faster than you expected? It's, different parts like the trying to get it financed took for a freaking ever which is normal um but i think the shoot itself goes by so fast and we know that's really down to budget we shot for almost night we shot 19 days um but post-production went way faster than i thought and way faster than i thought i would want it to and but then it it, it worked out but i i expected I spent like almost six months on a, a post on a short film and that's all. And we wrapped the film in, in February and had it premiere in September at Fantastic Fest. And I don't even understand how we did that. Part of that was thanks to COVID, which is, I'm not saying COVID is a good thing. Let me be clear of when I said that, but we went into shut locked lockdown, like, you know, middle of March, which we couldn't have, you know, I had no idea that how serious it was till it was that serious and they, the only positive for us was that we had all that time. Like suddenly we have full time to focus on it. So I think the film wouldn't have been nearly done nearly as fast otherwise, or the edit, because John would have had other things to do than just sit at home and edit the film. And it was like, I feel like a lot of our saving grace, as cheesy as that sounds during that time, we had something to focus on to like, take our mind off of the world of crumbling apart. Um, so yeah, we 
we benefited off all of us having nothing to do but be <laughs> <Sure>. at home. <laughs> That's when we I started doing the show on video was during COVID because everyone was at home, like you said, and uh, not again. It's not a good thing, but uh, something you know. I do think a lot of people came up with creative ideas during COVID to uh, to make things. And, and Anytime yeah, you can get anything positive connected. out of something like that, it's a good thing. Yeah. So how did how did COVID though affect the the festival run? Because I know some of them then became virtual. Yeah, I'm definitely personally very bummed that we didn't get to do the you know the in person thing um, because I feel like that's like a world I really know and like know how to use to my advantage and really like get out there and network the hell out of that shit because I did that with my shorts, but. So we premiered virtually at Fantastic Fest. And then, but you know, the the bright side of that is people could watch it from anywhere. Um, except just the people in Texas. Um, but the pop and we still did quite the you know, the difference is because it's virtual and because it is then available to the whole US, we play less festivals because normally we play a lot of regional like mm-hmm. Brooklyn, Knoxville, and so on. But with they're all being broadcasted to the whole country, then it's kind of like playing the same place over and over again. So that became kind of a different challenge because I like normally would have wanted to play all these different festivals. And it was like, it's not the same thing. Um, but we were able to do, you know, some in person, even in 2020, like we had a couple of drive-in screenings in o- that October. And we're still still having screenings even this month. Um, so it's exciting that I think we we kind of get to make up for that lost lost experience we've had lots of in-person festivals since um yeah but you know i i don't know who knows what would happen otherwise because we got sorry Uh, i think i saw on your facebook was it's going to be playing in spain yes it's playing at a festival called b retina (laughs) um they reached out to us and i'm like our foreign sales agent we kind of discuss all screenings outside the country with them and i was like let's do this i don't think we're We've been distributed in tons of places, but not in Spain. And we played Sieges. Um, we were playing Spain, then we we're playing here in Kansas City again at the Stray Cat, and then at the uh, Lost Weekend Festival in Winchester, Virginia, which is at the Alamo out there. Oh, cool. and I'll be at that one, so I'm excited to to go back to festivals again. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you know summer camp for us. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when you did get to, see, I know the virtual is fun because you have like a chat and everything, but it is different going and seeing mm-hmm. with people. And so when you did get to see it on the big screen with people for the first time, what was that experience like? Oh man. I'm like, which time was the very first <laughs> time? Um, it's always, it's, it's nerve wracking, but super exciting. I'm always, I'm excited for like very specific moments to find out how they'll like work or if they will at all um it's interesting it's not like i love to see sit through the gross moments to hear the reactions especially when you're not in a horror fanatic crowd Mm -hmm. like a at a normal film festival whatever that means um where it's not your typical person who watches horror movies every single day and they're like really squirming that i think that's even more fun um but then you know the nerds will like cheer to the gore so that's fun in its own way um but i i love these very small awkward moments that i'm hoping get laughs and when they do i'm just like yes because i like fought for them to stay in the movie (laughs) um 
but then a lot of it's painful because I'm just like, oh God, I can't watch this again. Because <laughs> um, just, you know, through post-production, you see a movie five billion times. Um, but there's nothing like, yeah, knowing how moments really work in in real time. It's different, like, you know, with virtual, people can say they liked it or what or not at the end, but to sit there and actually hear the reactions and you and feel it, you know, you know where the where like the board parts are. You can just feel it like in somewhere in the room and and so yeah and now you learn you know the more and more i watch it in with public i see the things i would of course fix i think we all do you can like edit a movie for for 100 years and never put it out but it has made me think i'm like what if we could step away from our movies for a whole year and then edit them Uh, we don't want to because we're all just like let's get it finished but i was like there's something i think to be said about this (laughs) but who knows we can never get far enough away from our own thing to see it. You know, well, like you'd have else like would. the Zack Snyder cut and have the, the advantage <laughs> of reading everything. Yeah. Like, here's another 80 million. So oh, then he'll oh, make Jesus, it even longer. It's better. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I've joked that I was going to release a director's cut that's the op- opposite. It'll be much shorter. Hmm. I mean, most director's cuts are like fucking way longer. <laughs> yeah. I often find that not all the time, but a lot of the director's cuts, I think uh, when I watch them and they are longer and I do think, oh, I think it, it was better before they <laughs> yeah, there was a reason <laughs> they got this. Yeah, maybe that's out. why it was yeah. cut down. Yeah. <laughs> it's not always, but uh, I mean, Midsummer I really like, but I actually thought the director's cut wasn't as good as the, as the original cut. I haven't seen it. Is or, it a lot longer or what? Yeah, it's longer. It's much longer. And um, I don't think it's as effective. It's, you know, it's a slow movie anyway, which I don't mind. But uh, I don't know. I just didn't think it was as good. It's not like terrible. But uh, when I watch it, I was like, oh, I know why these things were cut. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I like. It depends, you know, back, I feel like in a certain time we were getting theatrical cuts. And so that's like cut down so that it can be rated R. Right. And that's not always that's not always the best version because yeah. it's literally like they're just cutting out an extra 10 seconds of this gore scene or like these all the most like minuscule weird details. It's like this second longer makes it not qualify for being rated R. It's just so fucking weird. I assume you, not, didn't have, you have, you didn't have that issue, I guess, uh, you know, yeah. When you independent. now that like so many movies don't come out, theatrically all the streaming they don't have to go yeah. through a rating like nothing's rated anymore which that's kind of mm-hmm. cool i think yeah less censorship <laughs> uh, you um here you are young female filmmaker you've done all this stuff i know the last time i talked to you was quite a while ago i don't even know i was trying to think of when that was first live show with us in in many years awesome so uh i think to you know me young i'm not i haven't made a movie and i think back to where i thought i would be as a as a child did you ever think as a child that this is where you would reach and some people would say yes this is my life i've always knew i would end up here what about for yourself um (laughs) this is a great question um i did not know that i was going to make movies i um i always i don't know this was some of this is going to sound pretentious i'll just put a warning label on it um i i've always was like really driven since i was really young to 
but a lot of it, I didn't know what that was for exactly. I was just like, I always knew it was like, I'm going to do something big, whatever the hell that meant. But I was always creative and I played music growing up and did theater in middle school and would make silly like sketch comedy things on my dad's camcorder with my friends. But I never thought I that like, I think I never thought filmmaking was something like within the reach of like anyone that wasn't like a millionaire for a very long time. It's not even something I even like ever considered. I like put on like horror shows in town that were just kind of like performance art that I kind of directed it, but I never thought about like making a movie Mm -hmm. Um, until I went to a horror convention finally, like 2012 or 11. And um, like my first big convention, I realized like, that's where I met some independent filmmakers. I met James Bickard and the dear God, no crazy crew. Um, and Vito Trabuco who made bloody, bloody Bible camp. And I was just like, that's when I realized I'm like real people make movies. And like they put it together. Cause I had to like, see it, I think. And, and then just kind of seeing that and then meeting all the, all these, you know, people I was just nerded out about all my life. I'd, was like, how did I never go to a horror convention until I was almost 30? I was mad at myself, (laughs) but I was just like, wow, this community is so cool and welcoming and creative. And so it was really just like finally meeting people. And it wasn't until a while after that I started to to try to get involved in other people's projects. But yeah, I was, I kind of was always like in understood like networking and promoting and putting together a show events and shows and just like different things. I feel like that just slowly led me to this place. Mm-hmm. I must've started going to the conventions around the same time. Cause uh, 2011 was uh, yeah. our first convention. Yeah. That was the first, that was the first work convention I went to. So it was probably, yeah. probably all around the same time, but here you are, you've made a movie. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell happened to me? That's so awesome though. Like I find that kind of story very inspiring because I, I would never deprive anyone of the privilege they have. It's great if people come from what whatever, whatever they come from. But like you said, there are people out there who they network and they do things and they really have to push to get where they want to go. And it's not just like, here you go. It's you really have to push it and work it and be like make it happen make it happen and it's not necessarily going to be handed to you did you go to film school i did not i um just did hair school and always loved movies but yeah so when i decided to uh, try to direct a short i was like i don't know what the hell i think i'm doing um (laughs) but i i just feel like i surrounded myself by people that did know what they were doing and just have always been doing that and trying to learn from them and and then work on other people's projects in other positions to learn, you know, how other people do things. Uh, Honestly, most people, most of my friends who are independent filmmakers didn't go to school and uh, film school and the same way that, you know, you learn uh, being on other people's sets. Yeah. I think there's definitely, there's nothing like if there's a lot of pluses to having that education because there's all these, even just knowing all the vocabulary that I've slowly had to learn that you would just already know and kind of getting a little bit of understanding of every department is, I think it is very beneficial. Um, but I think really to do this stuff, you just have to do it. Like you have to, there's so many, it, it seems like such a big thing. People are like, how do you start? And you just have to like start, you know, a little step at a time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 
Yeah, that's come up before, and and it seems like it's kind of a almost like a, a silly thing to say, just do it. But uh, I hear it over and over again. And otherwise, you if it's just in your head, it's never going to be anything. Yeah, I well, I feel like yes, it sounds so simple, but it's like you can't figure out how to do it without literally doing it. There's no like you can read it in a book, but that's not going to teach you how to do it. Right, right. I also like that you said, uh, uh, bring in other people who know what they're doing. Cause I do think some people think I'm going to do everything because I want total control. And uh, usually they don't get anything done. But if you have other people who know what they're doing in each part, you know, you're more likely to actually make something. Yeah. I have a, a question. Yeah. I'm thinking of a friend of mine who I'm not going to name because they'll be embarrassed. But they really want to get into filmmaking and they do some really cool stuff, but they're, they're on their own right now. They're very young. And this person has mentioned concerns about imposter syndrome. And I'm wondering if you have experience as of that. And if you can relate to that, like being around people that have been doing this. And if you felt that, and if you have felt that, how do you move past that? Or even if you know someone who's had that, how do you encourage them to just keep going and like yeah pass that into the place where you you don't feel that no i think that is hard because i've all like i said surround myself with people that are way more experienced and then it makes me nervous that i don't i lack the like authority to then be the director or whatever <laughs> um and <clears throat> i think a lot of that is that you do have to you know find that confidence within yourself to to carry it but also before actually before we shot call girl i was working with tristan risk and i like voiced my nervousness to her about the just like i didn't like go into some meltdown but i was like i'm just you know really nervous about tomorrow tomorrow like the shoot was tomorrow and just it going smoothly and i don't know i felt all this pressure like everyone is looking at me and i have to know what the hell's going on um, which that's partially what it is, but not, but um, she just something about me voicing it. And then her saying like, just like kind of making me feel like, of course, like being nervous is totally like natural. And like, we're all here to like solve the problems together. And so like, no one's looking at you. Like you don't like, you're the pro like, that's not how it's not like all of us against you. And so I feel like just like voicing it, but also, they're realizing that like we're all in it to like it's, that's like one of the most rewarding things about making films i think is like this group coming together and solving these ridiculous situations that we get ourselves into you mentioned the horror community i think i don't know about all the other filmmaking communities out there because this is the world i i travel in but that seems to be so that is the thing is that the horror people you get connected to they really do want you to succeed yeah are going to support you and there's just like yeah there's just such a a you know a fan base for this world you know we've all loved it since we were so little that is just like there's this world just ready to yeah. to consume all the stuff that's made yeah. and pre-internet you like you might have known <laughs> one or two people or maybe nobody around you who also liked these crazy movies but once you found the internet, then festivals and conventions, you found all these like-minded people who uh, also like all this, this craziness. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how geeked I was at that first one. I think it was Texas Frightmare Weekend, which I, that's where I met Lawrence Harvey. 
mm-hmm. who's also in Call Girl. And without meeting him there, that would none of that all would have happened. And it's just a crazy world. Yeah, it's just never, I just went there, geeked out to meet the guy from Human Centipede, and I didn't had no idea to make a film with him a year later. And uh, it's just a crazy, friendly, weird the scariest guy in the movie, the nicest guy. Yeah, in the movie. Yeah. We love um, the here. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, his yeah. new film just uh, premiered at uh, at uh, Freight. Uh, Wait, what the hell is he in, and why don't I realize this? Uh, eating. Uh, let me get the name. Oh, he's in Eating Miss Campbell. Eating Miss Campbell, yeah. Oh, which yes, is Liam Reagan's new film. Yes. I'm dying to see it, and I did not realize I should have known Lawrence would be in it somewhere. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> he looks really scary, too. I didn't see the film yet, but there's like a still of him, and it's quite horrifying. <laughs> I was at Fright Fest, but I didn't get to see the movie either, unfortunately. Oh, man. But, <clears throat> Sometimes when you're at the festivals, you actually don't get to see all the movies. But. Yeah. Uh, gory bits. I would love to know what Jill is working on next. Hints would be fine. <laughs> Hints would be fine. Um, a few things, you know, trying to get stuff moving. I have a script that I didn't, I should not say I, Eric Stoll's, um, my co-writer on the stylist, one of them. He, he and I work on a lot of stuff together. And he's written a script f- like for me to direct that we've like, you know, built the, the concept together. But um, I wonder if I should say anything. It's, I mean, it is a horror film and it, it's another character focused film um, in a totally different subgenre in the horror world. I don't think I want to give that away yet. Um, so we're trying to kind of see where that could go. We've over the summer got it into a really good place. The script itself, we started, working on it like before we made the stylus and then picked it back up. Um, and then I've been writing something that is totally not horror. And it's like c- centered around the sex work and stripper world, which is a, a, like a, just a, a thing I'm very passionate about mm-hmm. you know, just uh, talking about and saying it should be decriminalized and um, spreading the gospel of that. But um, so really it's just lots of writing and early phases. I'm dying to be on set again. In fact, I've considered directing another short film because that's something you can actually do in a few months versus, you know, best case scenario. If you even have money to make a feature, it's going to take you three years to make it or something. I'm just and it's been since the stylist, you know, 2020 of February that I've directed, um, which feels like a million years ago now. But I do. I did want to drop again. John's film, Black Mold, I yeah, I help. I'm helping produce it, but I also did hair on it, which was my first time doing hair on a movie, which is funny. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, it was cool to be in that, like, to see the whole set from that place. I was like, okay, I'm learning thing, new things from over here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a lot of fun, and that really kicked my ass into gear to write. I was like, I was so excited to be back on a set again, and it's mostly the same crew that worked on the stylist, so it was like a reunion. It was so fun. So I want to bring up, I'm calling this month uh, slasher month. And in a way I kind of cheated because I don't necessarily consider the stylist as a slasher, but I did say it's, it's mentioned as a slasher sometimes. So uh, would you consider uh, the stylist the slasher? Um, not exactly. It is like slasher inspired, you know, the, I can, I know why people hear the title and it sounds like it should be a slasher. 
And that's kind of like the, from the, the concept, I was like, why isn't there like a slasher hairstylist? But then I went kind of more my taste, which is psychological mm-hmm. thriller. Um, in fact, I, my original scripts had less kills than even it has now. I was worried about it being too slashery, but I do love slashers. So it's like very inspired by lots of them. Um, do you have a favorite slasher film, either modern or, you know, the classic? Oh man, it's hard to say because okay. then there's the bait of what's the slasher? A few, um, a few top. That favorite word is brutal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people know my favorite movie is Texas Chainsaw. There's a lot of debate: is it a slasher? Right. Is this definition of a slasher? A lot of, a lot of people being there. killed. There's a decent yeah. amount of people killed in it. That's my favorite movie. Um, and more modern. I mean, I love Scream. Scream is like came out when I was like 12, so it really formed me as a horror fan and then all you know, the 90s horror that a lot of people might laugh at i love it you know like i because i grew up on it like i know what you did last summer idle hands final destination i love all that stuff and those are kind of very slashery yeah uh joe what is, uh, what's up sorry what are your guys's favorite slashers uh, I would say <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre is good right there. I really like My Bloody Valentine. I think this may be yeah, underrated. That's a I think I yeah. say underrated, but I think people are starting to really like it now. But when I was a kid, it wasn't necessarily really popular. I like the old, like crazy ones. This actually, there's a I talked about it earlier. The Coolidge Theater in Brookline they show midnight movies and so stuff like Driller Killer. I find those very. Yes. <laughs> I like all that crazy ridiculousness that i tend to like in the slasher not polished in any way at all like <laughs> island night deadly night i think counts I, I love it. and that's fun <laughs> i laugh to that movie i like a <laughs> i can laugh about it slasher and for modern ones i really i do like terrifier a lot i know some of my friends awesome. but yeah i like yeah it. that one would be my modern one too i think classic maybe halloween Mm-hmm. But Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, what other recent slashers have happened? Yeah. Um. So it's Terrifier. Uh, I mean, the reboot of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or remake, whatever you want to call it, or sequel. I guess it's a sequel. Um, for like, there's well, probably like there's more, but my to... brain is empty right now of this idea. Like, what the hell? <laughs> Yeah, I guess really the 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 standout one would be uh, Terrifier for modern. That's really one of the few modern, like uh, where the the um, the killer, like you know, you people, you see people's shirts and stuff, as opposed to you know, yeah. everyone's Freddy and Jason and stuff. Maybe the one with the Chrome Skull too. That would be. Mm-hmm. I oh can't yeah, remember the name. What's the name of those? Um, yeah, lead to rest. Ones. Yeah. Enjoy those too. But uh, Joe says it'll be fascinating to see Jill's take on non horror topics. Mm. He's interested. Mm-hmm. So, where can people follow you to see what you're up to? Not not to your home, but you know. <laughs> Please no. Um, <laughs> at Jill Six with two X's on all all the platforms, and you can follow the stylist film still. All over the place as well, or my website, which I desperately need to update. I'm reminded every time I say this. Oh God, sixtape.com. I really need to do that. Oh God. <laughs> and I, I don't know if it came up before. How did you get? If you don't mind sharing, how did you get the six 
nickname. Yeah. Um, I, I probably freaking decided it was that, but I, um, six has been my favorite number since I was a little kid. And I think it probably just must be because my birthday is February 6th, but I know really young, I picked it for a number like my, to be my number on a shirt for a soccer team. I'm like eight years old. And they told me like, that was an unlucky number. And I just remember them saying that to me so well. And I was like, if like, fuck you. I didn't think that probably was like the natural rebel. And he was like, well, I wanted even more now i didn't know it was like an evil number probably yet like a devil number which once i realized that just made me like it more and then it's like this evolution of my obsession and then i i knew who molly crew was but i read uh the dirt and a few of nikki six's book and was just really inspired by his story and then the num it's just a whole thing i don't even know at this point but six tape was um uh, someone, this uh, writer named Abby Stutzer, she wrote an article about me, my first film, and she titled the article Six Tape. And I was like, that's the coolest. I love it. I love how it's like sexy. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean? I don't know what it means. So I was like, I'm stealing that. Can I please steal that and become my company? <laughs> that's fantastic. I did ask Abby. <laughs> so all the stylist people can see on Shutter, uh, Arrow physical release what's on the blu-ray for us and stylist so many insane things oh my god thanks to arrow being amazing we had already started making all these behind the scene featurettes not knowing where the film was going to end up so we have like a whole i don't remember if there's like eight or more featurettes behind the scenes about you know specific things like ones about from the story from short to feature ones about the city and how it like aff- affected the shoot the if ones about the chiefs in fact because they were playing the super bowl while we were shooting and it really did affect the whole shoot you'd be surprised yeah. um and uh, uh but we have like a, a video essay from a woman named alexander nicholas that is incredibly insightful that i'm like you make the films me sound way smarter than we intended on being um there's like a storyboard feature showing like how we also took the pictures in the locations way before we shot the exact same shots, um, all kinds of stuff. There's this soundtrack, a poster, a booklet. Uh, it's insane. A, a commentary from Nia Najara. Oh, I'm a big fan <laughs> of commentary tracks. But yeah, we it's packed full of things. Very cool. All right. Well, it's been very fun to have you back on. We'll have to do it again. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm gonna go over my uh, my trip to England here, but uh, but you can stay, you can take off. I know we, I told you about an hour, so I must go check on the dogs. Not One right. of them who was in the movie. Oh, very good, <laughs> great performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats on your guys's premiere in London. Yes, yes, it's awesome. It's a very exciting time. So well, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Neil, I must also go check on my dog. All right. So thank you and Annabelle <laughs> enjoy. Thank you. I love the shirt, by the way. I just oh. wearing it. It's pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. What in tarnation? Give it to me, Neil. I don't know. I'm just a big fan. Oh, of well, give me the, you know, being a big fan. Yeah. What in tarnation? That sucks. That wasn't anything like it. All right, good night. Good night. So yeah, and uh so uh coming up right after this, 
if you're watching live, it should bring you right into the Fabio Fritzi interview, which is very exciting, which Anvil and I did earlier today. But mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a great interview. And, you got, and Jill was awesome. Yes, that was great. Yeah. That was cool. I'm glad I was able to make it. It was like. Yeah, that was very good. It was awesome. So, uh, so let everyone know. So uh, London Fright Fest. Um, I was there one other time as, uh, as um, press. This time I was there with the Once in Future Smash. And it was just really a great experience to for a movie that I produced and I'm in and we filmed it um, pre COVID at mad monster. And then it was literally two weeks before shutdown. So it was a long time, not knowing if the movie was going to actually ever be finished or when it was going to be finished. And uh, so then to, f- if to have a premiere at fright fest or premiere anywhere is cool, but premiere at fright fest was really big. And um, I was almost not going to go because of just the cost of flight. And then uh, Ryan Kruger, who made Fried Berry, and um, a few other people, they were like, no, you have to go, Mark Scheffler. And so I was like, well, I should go to the premiere. And so I was glad I did. It was a great experience seeing everybody. Um, I wish I would have got to see more movies. Yeah, I'm sad for you about the Lawrence Harvey movie. Yes, I was very excited to see it. But um, I will be having Liam Regan on the show uh, here soon to talk about the movie. He did also. He also did not get to see Once a Future Smash, William. So we we uh, we actually uh, traded uh, uh, screeners. So uh, so all oh, good. Yeah. And he'll be cool to get Lawrence back on too. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that one. Um, oh, I don't know if everybody. Let me interview you a little bit. I don't know if everybody in the audience, yeah, because not everybody is into the festival thing, knows what Fright Fest is. Yeah, so it's uh, one of the biggest um, genre fests in the world, and it's in the, it's London and Leicester Square, which I always was calling it Leicester Square, but it's not like Massachusetts. It's Leicester Square. Yeah. How can you pronounce things? Oh, forget it. I don't pronounce stuff right. Worcester. <laughs> right. Uh, by the way, um, so I was listening to a Joe Hill audiobook. And um, it's a great book, but whoever was reading the book did not how to pr- not know how to pronounce names of towns in in mm. Massachusetts, and it was very annoying. Painful. So yeah, calling it uh, Haver. Yeah. I forget how they said Haverhill, but it was. Oh, yeah. Bad. Yeah, I've heard some Lovecraft audiobooks, and it's like all towns my family grew up in, and I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> so. No. This- it's one of the biggest festivals, not even just at pe- like prestigious, but in size wise. So it's it's uh, the main theater is like I think ten screens, and they have multiple wow. movies going on at the same time, so they're overlapping. Even if you oh. wanted to, it's almost, I think it's impossible to actually watch every movie. Yeah. Um, and then there's a smaller cinema, the Saint, uh, not Saint Charles, the Prince Charles uh, Theater. That's actually where our movie played, but it's still a, like a cool theater it's actually cooler in a way because it's older oh cool that is cool nice, yeah. yeah um but a lot of uh cool movies played there so um the one uh movie i did see the first night i got there was dark glasses the new dario gento movie how was that I, i'll be honest it's, i don't think it's the greatest film it happens but it was a very cool experience because Dario was there and he uh, did the intro and then he did the Q and a, and he's in his eighties and he's very passionate. Wow. So, and he's coming back. He's going to make another movie. So this was his comeback film and he's going to make another one. Oh, 
really cool experience. Very cool. And that was, I don't know how big that, that theater was like 600 people or something. I don't know. It was insane. It was very. 600 people sounds small. In a movie theater, it's pretty big, I think. Is it? Yeah. How was it compared to the man's Chinese theater in Hollywood? Oh, probably. Yeah, it's probably about the, but then also it's this giant balcony. We were up in the balcony. I'm really not sure how many people had seats. It's it's pretty big. And so his movie, they actually showed it twice. Oh wow! The first twice in a row because the first one's completely sold out, and yeah. then the second one I think was sold out. But wow. we got into the him. Yeah, that must be wonderful to you know, he, like you said, he's over eighty. Not that he doesn't know he has a fan base, but still, just that he's still so in demand that people are just they're going to put their butts in the seats. Yeah, I think it's super cool. Not to spoil our coming interview, but I know when, when I thought about that, when Fabio talked about um, Lucio Fulci, you know, passing away before he really knew like the worldwide following of his films. And I did think, you know, he would be like uh, Dario Argento today. He could go to those shows and see, you know, that people really love these movies and, you know, that they mean a lot to people all over the world, not just, you know, uh, whatever audience he thought he had. So you mentioned Once in Future Smash. Mm -hmm. I don't know, because I've been like out in the the regular world much more the past few years, so I'm out of touch with everything. How much have you told people about these? uh, this Not a lot. So the Once in Future Smash. So um, it's about two. It's a documentary about two actors. Who uh, who both played uh, Smash Mouth in the 1970 uh, classic or cult classic End Zone Two, and so the documentary is about and a lot about is a lot about End Zone Two itself. Um, I think I've heard of that movie. Endzone. Yeah, it's got a, like a cult following. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people I've, we've had on the show um we're familiar with it and we're cool to talk with us about you know their feelings and how influential it was to a lot of their stuff like uh, bob elmore and mark pat and john dugan and todd farmer lots of lots of cool people uh, i hate to say everyone because i'll know i forget one person and then i'll feel bad so i'll just say a lot of cool people mm-hmm. and so so it's a documentary about that um and it's also a documentary about those two actors and so they were um, booked at Mad Monster Party. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who don't know, those actors then became, um, you know, changed their names uh, and became Bill Whedon and, and um, Michael St. Michaels. Oh, that's crazy. So I'm shocked. Yeah. So, wonder, um, so it's about those two guys. And yeah. uh, they're booked together for the first time together at Mad Monster wow. and uh, the Smash Mouth uh reunion and it's also about the uh the reboot so there's a lot of stuff going on there's a lot of stuff going on it's a lot of stuff going on so how do these three like is this a multi viewing because it sounds like they're three very distinct things yeah they're kind of all mixed together uh because it tells the story of uh of mikey and uh and william Mm-hmm. And it also t- you know has a lot of history of the movie itself and how it became lost and uh, what's left of the movie because there is only sixty minutes left of the original ninety minute uh, feature and about uh, the fest the, the convention and about the the reboot of the film. Interesting. What is I'm wondering about like the ninety versus sixty minute 
and what what was does their story about like why did it like was there like a fire or do they yeah, know well i don't want to spoil anything but it is covered in in the documentary and um this i think this is even in probably in the trailer um so mikey is in the first he plays smash mouse in the first hour of the movie and William plays him in the last half hour of the film. So his his part of the film is actually lost. That sucks. Yeah. That sucks. Wow. So we restored what was left of, uh, well, um, I, I produced uh, Once a Future Smash. I didn't uh, produce uh, End Zone 2 Restoration. Mm-hmm. But uh, Launch Over, Michael and Sophia, they, uh, they restored uh, End Zone 2. And oh, so cool. uh, we play them back to back. So you that's see very the, cool. the documentary and then you see the um there was a debate on um which goes first i kind of think end zone 2 should go first but michael and other people think the the uh, smash mouse should go first then you watch the original movie oh that's interesting i kind of i have not seen i've just heard um yeah, I would think you'd watch the movie first and then kind of see like the how and the background and all the things. But yeah, so some uh, Michael's uh, theory is that uh, the documentary will make you want to watch the original movie. So I can see both sides. I see that too. That's true. That's true. I'm so curious. You mentioned these names of the people that some of whom I've I've spoken with and am friendly with. So hmm. what an interesting little film. Yeah, it's very nice that uh, they got involved. Um, I, I've been telling people I don't have to pretend to be nice anymore because I finally got you know them to to do a favor for me being in the documentary. But no, no, it's okay. But you know, it's a uh, it was cool. And I, I people talk about bad the food's bad in England. I disagree. Very good food in England. Well, we're from New England, so that's very true. You know, it's not a giant transition, right? I know it was very short notice, so Annabelle couldn't come. It would have been a lot, yeah. uh, a lot of fun because a lot of uh, the first day I went to a, an all bangers and mash restaurant. I mean, when are you ever going to see a restaurant that's nothing but mashed potatoes and sausages? Yeah, and you said it was like all different kinds. It's not like it was just right potatoes and gravy. You get like your yeah. list. It's like you choose from the mashed potatoes, you choose from your sausages, and then you choose the gravies. Mm-hmm. And then you could just have it like that, or they could throw the whole thing in a pie. Oh, that sounds nice. And they even had vegan options. Everywhere had oh, wow. options, which was very good for Michael and Sophia. That's excellent. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, it's so sad because I didn't go, and then I couldn't go to the stone carving. Yeah, that's too bad. I wish, I wish we both that, could have made that, too. That would have been awesome. And then there's two things that were supposed to happen this month that got canceled. So it's like a lot of different things that, yeah. It's a shame that I didn't go. But here we are. Everything happens for a reason. So I'm just going to let it be. Uh, people ask I'm glad you went. That's yeah, wonderful. Kim asked about you and uh, oh. a little while. That's just private between you know three of us, but again, a nice little video for you from Tim. Oh, it's so cute. Tim dries rad i will be i would one of the reasons i should have gone was to be able to meet tim because i've never met him met him in oh yeah that's true because yeah. yeah the first time it was troy and i met him at uh the first the first convention we went to yeah and then i met him yeah i never yeah. i didn't think about oh. that that you actually never met in person no 
one of these days. Yeah. And very nice. Uh, Tim came out, Tim and uh, Emma dark came out to the, um, the premiere of the movie. So who else was there that was involved in the movie? Um, that was involved in the movie. Probably it was me, Michael, and Sophia. Michael uh, Epstein and Sophia Cassiola, um, uh, the directors and producers. They were there. Um, I think, yeah, this time was just really three of us. And uh, Tim Drive's also in the movie. Um, I think that's all that was actually involved. There were people there that we I was going to get involved. So Originally, the idea was the people who had seen the movie and wanted to talk about it, we were going to record at conventions. Mm-hmm. But um, the, we only got to one convention because everything shut down. So I could, we couldn't yeah. get uh, Nicholas Vince and Barbie Wilde oh, and some other uh, friends of the show to because uh, we didn't have people out there to record with them. So um, it was unfortunate. Yeah. But so when we do premiere in in uh, the states the hope is um a lot more people that are involved in the movie will be there that would be awesome that'd be great are there words about when that's going to happen well we I have to go to at least one of them yeah so uh, a lot of them i can't mention Fair. now i understand yeah. all these people always tell me they can't mention all these things and now i'm one of those people but um <laughs> We did find out today, and I looked into the. Uh, I won't be able to go, unfortunately. But the uh, oh. it's going to be playing in Italy. Oh wow! Uh, at the Be Afraid Horror Fest. Oh, cool! That's very exciting. Hmm. That's in November, mm-hmm. and they have a really cool uh, poster mm-hmm. with three hooded uh, folk. But yeah, that's uh, that's wild. And play there. I don't think we can mention any of the ones I know of that are playing in the states yet. But will they be all over? Huh? Is there? Will they be in the four corners? Yeah, they'll be uh, they yeah, different places. Yeah, that's cool. So people will have a chance, maybe. Yes. It's not like in Nebraska, and that's it. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, there's a few in in major markets, and um. So yeah, I think no matter where you are, you'll be able to go. And then once it runs its course at the at the festivals, uh, the hope is it'll be streaming. You know, hopefully on a major web, major streaming site, or it'll be streaming somewhere. And and we also want a physical release eventually nice. with with both films uh, together. So if those are streaming, do they then get locked in together? That's interesting. One? We actually had this conversation uh, there. Me, Michael, and Sophia is um. Right now they're playing they're 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 a package deal, so they're both together. But once they start streaming, um, they won't be like maybe mm-hmm. they would both be on, but they wouldn't play to you know, they wouldn't be like you watch one and it goes right to the other. So you have to seek out that. Yeah, which is interesting too, because I don't like the if you watch the documentary, it would definitely lead you to to go find end zone two. Yeah. But um, I think like End Zone 2, people might just watch as a 1970 slasher movie and not know of the other one. So it'll be interesting to see people's feedback because now we're seeing their feedback when they watch both. And Mm -hmm. generally, it's been very positive. But there have been um, split reviews where they actually really like End Zone 2 Mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily like the documentary and vice versa. So that's interesting. And it'll be interesting to see people's feedback when they just watch them completely separate. Of, of each other 
So it sounds like this is a film that existed that a lot of like old school people are familiar with. And it's yeah, because like, you would have had this. I don't think there was ever a physical release of it. So you would have had to have seen it, you know, like at the drive in or something. That's like crazy. That. That's cool. Hmm. Restored gem. Mm -hmm. Sounds 30 minutes for that poor guy. Yeah. So I don't know if that will ever be found or, or hmm. not. But. Hmm. It's very cool. So what else did you see? Any other? I know the whole festival thing is tough and you were time limited as well. Yeah. So I, showed, I saw Torn Hearts, which uh, I like that a lot too. That Katie Seagal in it. That's her first horror film. Oh, no kidding. Really? Yeah. I didn't know nothing about this movie going in. Michael and Sophia got us some uh, tickets to films while I was like in the air coming to England. And mm -hmm. one of them was Twin Hearts. And I was like, I was like, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll go see anything. And so um, it was very cool that we get to see the, the Argento movie. And so I didn't know anything about Twin Hearts. I was like, oh, Twin Hearts. Okay. And so we went into that. And um, so it's a movie about it's a um, uh, 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 country singer duet, female country singer duet. And they seek out um, Katie Seagal, who is half of a, a famous um, country singing duet. It was sisters, and the one sister died. And so they, they find her and go to her house and try to convince her to do a song with them. And then bad things happen. Interesting. That's such a strange, like, where does that go in horror? Because it doesn't sound horrific. It's right. a very interesting idea from yeah. this story. It's funny. And, uh, so they had a Q&A with the, the director, and she was saying this was Katie Seagal's first horror movie, so she was excited wow. to do it. Yeah. It's very, she's really good. I mean, she's a good actress anyway. Yeah. So. She's amazing. And ever since I heard the story from Danny Trejo about how awesome she is, like she just went up in my estimation. It's so. really cool for her because so often when people have a iconic role with Peggy Bunt, Peg Bundy, you know that's what they are. You know, unfortunately, yeah, but then wasn't she this big role in? Yeah, that's the same. Then yeah. the anarchy yeah. really. You know, I was. I think some people probably you know just know her from that nowadays. So, mm -hmm. and now she's got another role, so it's cool. And that one's already was uh, picked up, I think, by Hulu. Oh, cool! So that that will be on Hulu uh, coming up soon. Very cool. Hmm. Um, the one thing was wild and I do not know the name of it. This was a, a strange event. It was called the something uh, I've, I've got to try to find the name. So it wasn't a movie. It was an event. Oh. And it was put together by uh, I'm, I'm going to be I'm, I have to find these. An people. event like a party? An event like it was, in a, it, was, it was in the it was actually in the theater that that our film played at mm. so it was this little smaller theater bunch of it was the weirdest of the weird because this was all weird people at this but this was this was the real fringe people the actually everyone in that theater was the more of the the other one had some more mainstream stuff like terrifier 2 barbarian actually played there did you get all to see cool terrifier movie. 2 i did not but it played right before our movie, so it was almost impossible because uh, I went out with uh, Emma and um, and Tim for breakfast, and then we went out uh, to a pub. Mm -hmm. That was much cooler than. And uh, Terrifier Two is great. It, it's got it's getting a theatrical release in October. That's exciting. But you were saying about this event with fringe people. Yes. So this was put on by Evram. <laughs> Erso, I'm sorry, I'm 
um, mispronounce your name, but Evram, I know for, he, one of the guys who runs Boston underground film festival. And when I first went to, um, to uh Frightmare, you know, in 2018, I think it was, I saw him there and I was like, Oh wow. It's weird that he said, but it, I didn't realize he helps run both festivals. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that there was such a connection between buff and, uh, yeah. So he's a really cool guy. Um, if you're at karaoke, he's always at karaoke and buff. So he put he he's the host of this, the Duke Mitchell Film Club. So write this down. So it's and it's a group on Facebook you can join, which I joined afterwards. I didn't know not I did not know about this. And so it's oh, there's actually video of this. I'm just finding out. Can you so, share it for the world? So, yeah, so uh, I don't know if I can share it, uh, if we'll get, I doubt we, well, I'll share the link. Yeah. So, um, so he's there and he, he would bring up uh, filmmakers that were in attendance and, uh, and previously they had picked weird videos. It was almost like, like when we would um, do the film nights. Yeah. Show weird clips of stuff. So it was just all this wacky, it was crazy old commercials, clips of movies, just whatever bizarre video. Uh, There's a music video where they kept going into buttholes. It's just a <laughs> bunch of, of bizarre, just bizarre. Like one of those fractals and you just keep going. Yeah, because it was done with like a computer and they just kept going. And it was like famous people bending over and going up their buttholes. So it was, <laughs> it was a very weird time. And it was just it was just very fun, I have to say. And every filmmaker, he came up that you had to drink. Uh, he did not. He, I told him I don't drink, so I didn't have to. But uh, everyone was, you drink a shot of, you had your choice of whiskey, vodka. I don't think vodka, whiskey, rum, or something else. And uh, so originally I wasn't, you know, part of this, but uh, Michael and Sophia were, and and everyone was like, Neil, you come up too. Don't just sit there looking at your phone. So he made me come up on stage. <laughs> that was very nice of him. And uh, their clip was um, some like weird, uh, like Italian barbarian movie or something. I don't know. It was very strange, but everything was strange. So this was, uh, it, I think it's something you really would have to be there, you know, to enjoy. Cause okay. you're also watching it with all fellow weirdos and you're just having a good time. You have a watch party. Yeah. Like we used to have. It was like a virtual watch party in yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who's Duke Mitchell? I don't know. who. Dumb. Is, <laughs> I'm like, I feel like this is a name I, should know because there it is so i don't know i feel i'm feeling ignorant yeah mitchell strange film nights in london bringing you the best of obscure films since 2007 Hmm. so they must do this normally i don't think it's always done this way but Mm -hmm. this is a special thing they do at fright fest so just a wonderful time awesome great time Great people, met a lot of cool people, met people I know, met people for the first time. Just a really good experience. I stayed in a weird room, the assembly. Um, it was billed as windowless and soundproof. Um, Michael and Sophia's didn't have a window. Mine actually did have a window. Mm, weird. Uh, which just looked overhead on top of like a, a building. And, uh, I, and it was not soundproof because I could hear people doing whatever they're doing and uh the, the room uh, look it was clean and had a bed it had a bathroom and it had hangers so i was had a bunny 
but yeah, no table, no chairs, no coffee machine. But a giant stuffed bunny. A, a big. It was. It was like a hard bunny. Oh, was it? Yeah. It was giant. It, it was, was like the size of a dog. Giant like pink bunny. Dog. It had uh, belts on 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 the on the bed. Post. Uh, I don't know what was going so on. Was this, this supposed one. to be like a like an a rental for people's good times? Is that what you were I'm hearing in these other rooms? Sure. Had That's a, what a, this place a was. A big pink uh, glowing uh, light pole in the corner of the room. <laughs> it, was, oh. it was a pretty wild place. I know someone who has a like this weird sleep sack. Uh-huh. So if you're like creeped out by sleeping in foreign beds, I think maybe the sleep sack would have been the way to go. <laughs> Not but, touch any of the things. I will say this perfect location it was mm-hmm. so i took the uh the tube which by the way if you're familiar with the tea which thanks annabelle i am the tube is basically tea only much bigger so the tea from heathrow to leicester square you literally walk outside and you can see the hotel right across the street like wow. not even a, probably like a minute um directly honestly right across the streets there and it was right around the corner from the theater, perfect location. Wow. Uh, wow. Right around the from uh, from the uh, casino, which uh, Chris, really good guy. I'd met I'd met him before at Buffalo, but uh, he hung out with us. And uh, so the casino, like like Foxwoods, like yeah, it was. Uh, what is the what is the? I uh, let me find the name of this casino. It's so weird to me. I don't think of England and think of yeah. There was quite a lot I'm of sure. casinos. That's interesting. Just walk around. Weird. So, um, and it, it's a really old because a lot of stuff in England's old, obviously. So it's a really old building, and then it's made into a casino. So it's small, but it's five stories, and all the steps are very like the old steps are very like the steps are short. Yeah. yeah. And so we kept going up because we we're looking for a bar for all of us to to sit at, and all of them were closed. We finally got to the very top, and. Um, and uh, so we we were outside, but everyone was having cold drinks, and I drank uh, uh, sparkling water. But it was a good time. Hippodrome, the Hippodrome. Hippodrome. So originally, I was just going to go at night by myself, mm-hmm. and then Chris saw. He's like, "Well, I'll go. I'm going to go." I was like, "All right, cool." And then uh, Michael and Sophia ended up going, and mm-hmm. neither of them had ever, ever gambled. Oh wow! And so we didn't want to do the tables because if you don't know what you're doing, people get mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we played um, electric roulette, which each roulette wheel that you sat at had its own spin and the balls came out, which is actually very fun. And, uh, and so uh, Sophia cleaned up. She's had a really? system. She would, her system was she would pick random red numbers. And so <laughs> we all put 10 pounds in and she got the 20 pounds in no time. And then she got up to 40 and Mike was like, we got to cash out, got to cash out. And she's like, well, I'm going to get up to hundred. She got up to wow. 104. And she's like, he's like, yeah. so she played the four. And as soon as it was down to hundred, Michael was cashing her out. <laughs> You've created a monster. <laughs> Michael says I ruined Sophia. By showing her and Sophia's like, I want to keep going and get to a thousand. Wow. If you bet an extra pound, which mm-hmm. was like a buck, but um, they, these ones had this triple eight thing. So if you get an eight, you yeah. get another spin. And if you get a second eight, you win 500 pounds. Wow. 
Wow. And if you get a third eight, it was 10,000 pounds. And then a fourth eight was like 750,000 pounds. But this is like really impossible. So I actually spun the eight. And then it all lit up and I got the other spin and it spun like 36. But then you think about it's like one in 36 to get the eight maybe. And then maybe even harder because you get a uh, count in the zero. So one in 38. And then you get two in a row, that's 38 times 38. So your odds are like, as as soon as I was saying that, this young woman next to me got the eight and then spun the second eight and won the 500 pounds. Good for her. Right. When I was saying it was like basically impossible. (laughs) So the thought for life. Right. So I wanted to go back there because the, the steakhouse in there was voted the best steakhouse in London. Wow. But I didn't got a chance. I do wish I would have stayed longer, even just to hang out in London. Another time. Yeah. So it was a, yeah. I had big breakfast. I had black pudding for the first time, which wasn't very good. But not something they do in New England. No, that's true. They do in Pennsylvania. They call it just call it there. They call it black pudding. It sounds a little nicer. I know in, in uh, Pennsylvania, it's just called blood sausage. They get right to the point. We have this uh, second interview. This is our previous. Yeah, so Fabio Fritzi is uh, starting now. So we're going to take off. I want to thank Annabelle for coming on. It's been very fun to catch I up. With. Thank you. For I mean, I see you show up today. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, this is great. It'll be cool for you. I know this, you can't yeah, do it all the time, but every once in a while, it'll be fun to, to pop on. Yeah, it would be great. I would really like that. So cool. All right. Well. It's been nice, and I hope everybody enjoys this next interview. I thought it was fantastic. He was so cool and easy to talk with and happy, and it was a pleasure. All right. Enjoy. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you soon, and I'll see you soon.